Hey, welcome to Access. John here. I just wanted to take a quick few seconds and invite you to the Passover Seder that we will be observing March 30th at 6 p.m. here at our church. No, we're not turning Jewish and throwing out the New Testament. We just really want to see how Jesus and his disciples observed the Lord's Supper and to get a picture of how big God is by discovering how a tradition that was practiced for thousands of years before Christ was really all about him. So, we really hope that you'll make plans to join us, and if you come, be sure to bring a small pillow. We'll tell you why later. Today, we're going to continue our study on John 9 by talking about what happened next with a man who Jesus found blind from birth. So turn your Bibles to John chapter 9 because this message is entitled, Simple Defense. Do you believe that you are ready to defend your faith to anybody who might try to make you look foolish for believing in God? First uh, Peter 3.15 tells us, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And I, I think that last part is really something that I would struggle with, is doing this with gentleness and respect. If somebody's trying to come at me and make me look stupid, and you know they want to know, why do you believe in God? Well, you know, in like manner, I might try to make you look stupid. But, you know, I think most of us really feel like we do not know enough to defend ourselves. And it's not that we don't know enough about the world. It's really we're uncomfortable about what Scripture says. And and I can tell you, I've read through the whole Bible, and, and I still feel inept in this area. Like, there's so much more that I need to study before I'm really ready to stand in the same platform and debate faith. Um, and, and you should be honest, I don't really do well debating anyway, so I don't really even know if that day is going to come where I know enough that I can stand and defend myself and defend my faith. And, and God bless the people who are, are truly, truly intellectual and, and, and very skilled at uh, being a Christian apologist, somebody who defends the faith. There are people out there that serve in that ministry, and God bless them because the things that they say they just strengthen our faith. And while other people might be trying to tear us down. But I think that's a common feeling. We just feel like we don't know enough. Well, in today's passage scripture, we're going to study about a man who was able to defend his his faith in Christ and was able to defend Christ himself. And it didn't really have anything to do with his education or how much scripture he knew. It had everything to do, though, with what he had witnessed and what he saw. And you'll see how that's a pun on uh, today's passage scripture. But we're going to go into that in just a minute. Um, before we go into that, I just want to ask you, do you feel like you have a good testimony? And I, I think that's a very, I've heard that a lot in church. Uh, you know, I just don't have an exciting testimony. And I think anytime a person might say that, it's because they don't realize and recognize that what they are believing is false doctrine. That you do have an amazing testimony because you didn't come to faith on your own. You didn't just wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm going to be a Christian today. And it might have felt like that, but but the reason why you came to faith is because God reached out to you and he unlocked your heart and unlocked your mind so that you could receive. So when you begin considering all the complexities of coming to faith, you you had to be born in a certain place to a, a certain uh, couple and then they raised you and they, maybe your circumstances played out through life and then that you were able to hear, that the fact that you would hear the message and not only hear it, but that you would listen to it, or I should say not only you listen to the message, but that you would hear it in your heart, and then you would receive it, that in and of itself is a miracle. So that is an, an amazing testimony. 
I love what John Piper says about that. He says, you know, I, this is why I teach on the doctrine of grace, because if you don't feel like you have an amazing testimony, it's because you're not, you're not taking into account that the, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords got off his throne just so that you could have a relationship with him. You have an amazing testimony. And it's not, you know, you don't have to go and live a life of sin before you can have an amazing testimony. You just recognize that we serve an amazing God because you have an because you have an amazing testimony because of amazing grace. So don't let anybody ever feel make you feel like you don't have an amazing testimony. Your testimony is worth telling. So um, in last week's passage of scripture, one of those things that we really talked about was the, uh, the the understanding that we might believe some things about God that simply aren't true and that we need Scripture to correct our hearts and we need to be open for correction. But if you walked away with anything last week, I hope that it elicited a response. The message was able to, to, to uh, uh, enlighten us on how much we should want God more than we would want uh, a deliverance from our circumstances. If I had to choose between being completely physically healed and the power of God, I would choose God. And, and so that's, that's what I hope it accomplished is that we can see that God is bigger and better than anything that we might imagine or what we, what we would want. Um, but we, we didn't uh, go over this passage of scripture where Jesus and his disciples, uh, the, his disciples asked him, you know, who sinned this man or his parents that he would be born blind? And Jesus said, neither this happens so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And so essentially God caused this to happen so that I would have someone to heal, but God wants to do great things in and through this man. And what we will see is an incredible truth, just how true that absolutely is, uh, because we were able to read it in John chapter 9, for example, and, and that the whole world is touched by this man's story. So God did this so that his work might be displayed in his life. And so uh, in verse 4, I just want to go through this, is that he says, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. I want you to pay special attention to the word sent there, because we're going to come back to that. He says, night is coming when no one can work. And while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. So as we look at this, you know, we see he's saying that, that I have to do the work of him who sent me. Now, we're going to see in just a second that this was the Sabbath day that he did this. And, and so that caused a lot of controversy. And it seems like Jesus just flourished in, in the midst of controversy. In fact, he caused controversy. He could have healed you know, this man. He could have healed other people on any day of the week, but he chose the Sabbath. And there's going to be a point behind all of that. And I really want to tra- talk about that. But I just want to talk just really quickly about what Jesus was saying here. He's essentially telling his disciples that time is limited. You know, and, 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 you know, he even told his, told his disciples that we must do the work of him who sent me. God is at work. And God doesn't take a day off. Uh, he gave us a model that we should obey and observe the Sabbath, but God continues to work. And, and, and the work of God is not the same thing as going out from a nine-to-five job and trying to make money, that there is work to be done on the Sabbath, and the, 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 we're going to see some important things about the Sabbath that Jesus was trying to communicate. But he tells them that, that time is limited, and I, we need to get out and do the work of God. Because night is coming when no one can work, that I won't always be in the world with you to, to walk around and physically heal people. 
And he, and he said, you know, the, we must do this work. God sent me, the Father sent me to do it, and we don't need to waste time. Very, time is limited on this earth. And I think that is a, a message that every single Christian ought to adhere to, that if you are a believer in Christ, if you have a relationship with Christ, then you have the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, you need to understand that God has put you on earth for a purpose. There is something that we should be doing for God, and that our time is limited on earth. You only have so much time on earth to get the things that God wants to do through you done. So we need to submit to him and do what he's telling us to do. Because we always think, well, there's going to be plenty of time tomorrow. We don't need to live that way. Jesus didn't live that way. We need to do God's work now. And so he says, I am the light of the world. While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. But he also tells his disciples and his listeners on the Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world. So light does basically two things, at least we see in Scripture. And Jesus is going to draw some contrast here between light and darkness, from between being blind and being able to see, from, from worshiping him to blaspheming him. And uh, what we need to understand is that light exposes uh, darkness. Light exposes sin. You know, Jesus told his brothers, he says, you know, any, for you, any time is right. To go out to the world, any time is right. But the world doesn't hate you like it hates me. It hates me because I expose their evil. I show them that what they're doing is evil. That's what the light does. You, know, you ever stumble around in the dark and trip over the coffee table and scrape up your knees and your shins? It happens when you're in the dark. When you're able to see, you turn on the light and you don't stumble. So not only does it show us where things are in the room and what is in the room, but it helps us to actually see. And so what we're going to see in this passage of Scripture is that Jesus draws a lot of contrast between being blind and sight. And and Johnny, he does a beautiful job. The, the, the irony of this story is that the man who was born blind, he begins the story blind, and he can actually see. And the Pharisees, who can see in the beginning, by the end of it, you get to see how blind they really are. And we're going to go into that a little bit more in the next message. But today, we see this, that he says, well, I'm in the world I'm the light of the world. I've got a responsibility, and I'm going to do it. And we, you my followers, we are going to do the work of him who sent me. And in verse 6, it says, Having said this, he spit on the ground, he made some mud with saliva, and he put it on the man's eyes. He says, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. Now this is a this this story is pretty incredible. Why did Jesus make mud? Why didn't he just say, "Hey, open your eyes and you can see"? Why why did why did Jesus wait so long? Why did he do it on the Sabbath? Why 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 didn't he go to a different day of the week? Why did he put mud on this man's eyes? Well, you know, I I have several theories, but you know, this is the one that I like the most. I think that Jesus made the mud. We see this in verse 14 that he did this on the Sabbath. He made mud because I think Jesus wanted to violate man's law of the Sabbath, the Jews' law of the Sabbath. Not God's law of the Sabbath, the Jews' law. He was showing them how ridiculous 
their stipulations on the Sabbath were. There was actually 39 subpoints to the law. You couldn't you couldn't run, you couldn't carry, you couldn't you couldn't start a fire, you couldn't put out a fire, you couldn't cook, you couldn't clean, you couldn't do all of these different things. I, I read in one place that uh, you know a woman wasn't allowed to look in a mirror because she might be tempted. She see a white hair and she would pluck it out. You can't pull things. You can't push things. And and one of the things that you were not able to do. Is uh, it says that you were not able to knead dough, and and the word for dough uh, is polon, which is the same word in Greek for mud. Now I think that what, this is my theory that in Scripture that Jesus makes the mud. He needs mud because it was breaking the the Sabbath according to the Jews. That he was doing this to really ruffle some feathers up. Why did Jesus do this on the Sabbath? The, the, the people were accusing him. We're going to see people were accusing him of breaking the law and being evil because he was kneading dough and and uh, kneading mud and 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 putting it on this man's eyes and healing people on the Sabbath. I think what Jesus was telling them is, what else is the Sabbath for? You know, it's a day of rest. Why do we rest? So that we can recover. So that we can heal. So that we can be restored. That's the point of the Sabbath. What else are we here for? It's not good to work seven days a week. It's not good to work 24-7. You have to rest, and God commands us to take a day of rest. But do you think that God does that so that we had something else to feel guilty about breaking? He does it so that we can heal. We need to heal. And so Jesus was showing them this, that he made mud, he put it on the man's eyes, he told them to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, if you remember the pool of Siloam, it was, I think as we saw this in John chapter 7, that uh, Jesus went to the Feast of Tabernacles. And in the Feast of Tabernacles, I don't know if you remember this, but one of the things they did is they, they would go down to the pool of Siloam and grab a pitcher and take it back, a pitcher of water, and take it back to the temple and be thankful for that. Because uh, if, if you actually studied about the Pool of Siloam, uh, one of the things they believed about it was that um, what was that uh, they, this water would come down from uh, another spring or another source, so it run down and it would collect in the pool, what they called the Pool of Siloam. So this water was sent from somewhere else to where it ended up. And I believe that Jesus is talking about this. Why would John make this stipulation? It's like, well, you see a little thing that says this word means sin. It's in parentheses there. The pool of Siloam, this word means sin. He did that. And notice that Jesus says uh, in verse 4, we must do the work of him who sent me. Jesus is trying to draw a, a, a parallel here between the water of the pool of Siloam, how the water was sent. He also says, I am the living water. If anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. He is the one who has been sent by God. The well, it would spring up, and the water would spring up and would become a well of eternal life. So Jesus has a purpose in doing this that he sent to this man on purpose. And this, you know, this story could have ended right here in verse 5. I'm sorry, verse 7. That the, the God did it. And he was able to see. He came home seeing. That's incredible. That's incredible enough. But what I want you to see is, um, what I want you to see is this incredible reality about this uh, this man 
Um, in, in this past, sorry, I had to send a text there. Somebody was texting me. This man, he has an incredible testimony. Uh, and, and it's really interesting how this happens. He has five different conversations in, in the book of John chapter 9. And, and it's like his eyes begin to open more and more and more and more. Um, I, I don't know if you ever uh, have been put under under anesthesia. When you come out of anesthesia, uh, first of all, let me tell you, when you go under, I remember one time I was like, I'm going to go under and I'm going to try to stay awake. And it's like the whole world just goes black. And when you wake up, it's like the opposite of that. At first you can see and, and you don't know where you are, but then as you start to go a little further and further and further, you start to become a little bit more coherent and that you can, you can see and you can set up. And, and after a while, after you, you're in recovery and when you're finally recovered, you're able to walk around. And I kind of see that as this man's spiritual journey. And, and sometimes this happens really quickly, and sometimes it happens slowly. But this man, for this man, it was in the, all in the same day that who he sees in this scripture, and you're going to see this, that, that his, his outlook on Christ is going to change. It's going to develop. It's going to become more clear. This man was born blind. God, Jesus let him see. Uh, but he, Jesus wasn't there whenever he saw it. And so who he sees Jesus as is going to develop and it's going to change. This is absolutely incredible. So we see five different conversations in this passage. Conversation number one, we see uh, see him having a conversation with his neighbors. And this is verses 8 through 12. It says, But his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? And some claimed that he was. And others said, No, it only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How were your eyes open, they demanded. And he replied, the man they called Jesus. Notice that. He says, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And when I went and washed, then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. That is probably one of the dumbest questions in the entire Bible. They asked a man who was blind and can now see, which way did he go? And he says, I don't know. Do you know who you're talking to here? I don't know. I didn't see. Okay? So we, we see this uh, this funny exchange, but, but re- really, you look what happened in verse 11. He just basically sold Jesus out. And I don't think he intentionally did that. He just said what happened. But Jesus is in hot water. He made some mud. He put it on my eyes. What? Jesus broke the Sabbath? By making mud, see that's where we that's where we tend to draw our, our attention to that Jesus broke the Sabbath. Jesus healed a man. That's what we should be excited about. But they one of the stories that comes to mind, and I know this is this is really terrible, but um, I, I uh, Ted uh, said he was in um, one of our deacons. Ted he was in a in Houston around the medical center, and he sees a guy asking for money, and he's sitting in a wheelchair. And he, he just, you know, walks past him or whatever. I don't know if he gave him money or not, but he comes back a, a couple hours later, and the guy's walking around. He's like, it's a miracle. And the guy says, what do you mean? He's like, I saw you in a wheelchair like two hours ago, and now you can walk? So I, this has nothing to do with his past scripture. I just think that's what I think of when I'm like, they're like, hey, isn't this the guy that used to beg? Because, I mean, think about it. This man, he, he, he spent his whole life asking for money because he couldn't see that was his only function in life was to to be a plague on society and to leech off of people and and here he's he's able to see i mean like this has got to be some kind of explanation were you faking it all this time how can you see tell us and he tells them the man 
they called Jesus, put mud on my eyes, and he told me to wash, and I did, and now I can see. So then we see conversation number two, and this is this is pretty pretty awesome. The man is called in to uh, be questioned by the Pharisees. The Pharisees brought in the guy who was born blind, and verse 14 says, Now the day in which they made Jesus made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight. Hey, hey, what's going on here? Somebody's doing some work. They say, he put mud on my... So they asked him, how did you receive your sight? He put mud on my eyes. The man replied, I washed and now I can see. Notice what the Pharisees say in verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. Really? He just healed a man. He just he just cured a man of his blindness. And you're going to say he's not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath, which isn't true. He just didn't keep your all your Jewish man-made uh, additions to make sure you didn't break the Sabbath. He just broke that. But others said, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? And so they were divided. And finally, they turned again to the blind man what do you have to say about him? It was your eyes that he opened. Notice what the man says. Now, he's not a man anymore. He's a prophet. He's got to be a prophet. Now, you see that the man who was healed, first he says Jesus is a man, and now he's he's coming a little bit closer. He's not, he's not correct yet, but, I mean, certainly he's more than just a man. How was he able to heal me? His vision is clearing up here. And it says the, the Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and they had received sight until they sent for the man's parents. So here we see conversation number three. It's between the man, his parents, and the Pharisees. This is verses 18 through 23. So they didn't believe him, so they sent for his parents. And he says, and they said, is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it now that he can see? And they said, well, we know he's our son. And we know he was born blind, but how he can see or who opens eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age, and he will speak for himself. Now, in verse 22, you see something really kind of sad. Really, just really kind of sad. And I don't want to be too hard on the parents here, and there's a reason why. In verse 22, it says, His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for they knew the Jews that decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. And this is why his parents said, ask him, he's of age. So his, his dad, his parents, you know, his mom and his dad, his mom and his dad they, they really did kind of throw him under the bus here. And that's really kind of just a sad reality. But, you know, we don't know what happens in this story. I, I can only imagine that, you know, if their son was healed, that he was born blind and now he can see, this is not just a big deal for the man that was, that was healed. I mean, this is a big deal for the parents, too. And so I don't want to be unfair and, and you know, just be too harsh on them because I, I just think that, like, they were afraid. That's what we do when we're afraid. We try to preserve ourselves. And you say, why were they afraid? Why didn't they just, you know, I'm not afraid of getting excommunicated. You know, it's, and we say that because being excommunicated today is not the same as being excommunicated back in, in, as a Jew. You know, if somebody's throwing, if we throw somebody out of our church now, they just go to a different church. But in those days, there's nowhere else to go. You have to go to the, to the synagogue. You have to go to the temple to worship God in Jerusalem. And you're going to be cast out. This 
is like saying you don't get to know God. You're not of God's people anymore, and so God will destroy you. These men thought that they had that right. That this man was healed, and, and so you know they asked him, "What? How? 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 You know? How is this guy able to see?" And so his parents they were afraid, naturally. They said, "Well, ask him. He's of age." And so we get to see conversation number four here is the man between the man and the Pharisees in verses twenty four through thirty four. This is this is a very famous exchange here. He says, the second time they summoned the man who had been born blind. Give glory to God, they said. What do you think he was doing? Not according to them. Give glory to God, they said. We know that this man is a sinner. Talking about Jesus. He, he has to be a sinner. He didn't keep the man's law on the Sabbath. And he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. Now listen to this. Because this is just so extremely simple. We tend to complicate things when it comes to sharing our testimony. But listen to this. Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. But one thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. I can't can't tell you how he did it. I don't know anything. I mean, you think about this man. This was a man that had begged his entire life. Do you think that he got an education? No. Do you think he knew how to read? No. Do you think he knew scripture? No. Do you think he sat into sermons? Probably not. This man knew nothing. All he knew was how to ask people for money. In our culture, this would be the worst plague on our society. Here's a disabled guy that sits around and just begs people for money all day. He cannot contribute. He is a nobody a nothing this guy says i don't know if this man is a sinner or not all i know is is that i was blind and now i see kind of gives you the idea that maybe our testimonies don't have to be so complicated let's move on verse 26 he said then they asked him what did he do to you how did he open your eyes and i love the crass um, response to this guy, verse 27, because, I mean, you can just see the boldness like bubbling up in this guy that, that he began saying, Jesus is a man, that Jesus is a prophet. He's like, well, you know, he, he says, I've already told you, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? <coughs> so he was a man, incredibly courageous, that God had done work in his life, and he wanted he wanted to honor the one who had healed him, and he says to him, do you want to be his disciples too? So now he is siding with Jesus, saying, I want to be this guy's disciple. You know, if he can do that, I want to know how he did it. And then they hurled insults at him and said, you're this fellow's disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow... We don't even know where he comes from. That's very interesting because uh, Jesus said in in John chapter 5, let me go back there just a second. You'll see Jesus confronts him and says, no, you're not disciples uh, of of Moses. Uh, John chapter 5, verses 45 and 46, uh, Jesus confronts him. He says, but do not think that I I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. He said, you're not Moses' disciple. You don't even you don't even acknowledge the things that he said. 
How do you think that you're his disciple? See, we're disciples of Moses. We don't know where this man comes from. Well, isn't that interesting? Because that's prophecy. You're not supposed to know where this man comes from. Oh, how about that? Verse 30 says, the man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to godly man who does his will. (laughs) So this guy who has no education now is silencing and shutting up those who are the most educated men about God. That he's defending Christ with a very simple testimony. He says in verse 32, Nobody's ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And so they see the you see in verse 34, so they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Now, when they threw him out, they didn't just throw him out of their presence. They threw him out of the temple, out of the synagogue, out of the faith. So this man who stood up for Christ has nowhere to go now. He was blind, but now he could see. It really makes me wonder if this man was willing to go through all of this to, to receive healing. It, you know, sometimes we pray that God would heal us. Like, God, God, would you would you just work this miracle in my life? And we, th- we think that God's being cruel because he's withholding the healing. But maybe it's just because we, we don't want to deal with the aftermath. He knows that we couldn't handle it. I could heal you, but I don't think you're ready for what comes next. Here's this man. He's thrown out. And we see conversation number five, and that's between the man and Jesus. Jesus seeks him out in verse 35 through 38. He hears about, this is what it says, Jesus heard that the man had been thrown out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And then the man said, Not you're a man. Not you're a prophet. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. You know, we, we need to understand that God is at work. God is at work in our hearts and in our lives. And when we come to faith, we have an amazing testimony. It's not that we were steeped in sin at birth. It's not that we, we went through all these things and we turned away from sin and we turned to Jesus. Which that might be our testimony, but that's not what makes our testimony amazing. What makes our testimony amazing is because God seeks us out. Jesus sought this man out, and this guy was a nobody. Think about that for just a second. What could he contribute to the faith? Nothing. This is the man that sat around and begged all day. What did he know? What what was God going to gain out of that? Nothing. That's why it's amazing grace. Now, I, like, I think we like to think because we have an education or because we, we live on a certain side of the train tracks or because we have a big house or because we have a lot of money or whatever it might be. I'm so talented and God really needs me on his side. You have nothing you can contribute to the kingdom. Nothing. Zero. But see, God calls us anyway. 
He said, well, what about those great works that I've done in, in, in God's eyes? Do you remember what Jesus said about that? He says, you know, I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats, and the goats are going to come to me and say, you know, Lord, Lord. He says, not everybody Lord says, Lord, Lord, is going to end the kingdom of heaven. Lord, didn't we do miracles in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? He says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. You think that man's work is actually contributing to the kingdom of God? It is God himself that does this work in and through us. He wants a broken vessel that he can use to do his glory so that he will get the glory from his work. We can contribute nothing. That's why it's amazing grace. That's why you have an amazing testimony. Because I was nothing. And God took me. And he transforms me. And he uses me. You know, we have this opportunity to tell the world what God has done in us. And we think, you know, if I just knew more, I'd probably feel a little bit more confident. I think it's because you're making it all about you. If you feel that way, it's because you're making it all about you and your accomplishments and what you were able to do. That wasn't the testimony of this man. This man just said, hey, you know what? I don't know. I don't know all the answers that you're throwing at me. But I was once blind and now I can see. That's all I need to know. I, I, I lived my life completely self-absorbed and then God opened my eyes. Literally and spiritually, I was blind and now I see. Do you know what that means? That means that we could walk into a debate of, of Christian versus atheism and, and then say, you know what? I don't know all the answers to your questions. I don't, know all the, I don't know all the responses to your accusations. In fact, I know very little. In fact, I probably know nothing compared to you. But I'm going to tell you one thing I do know. I know I was once blind and now I can see. And that's something that you can't take away from me. And that none of your logic and none of your, 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 your beautiful words or, or how much education you've, you've received or how, how many molecules you've inspected can change that. I once was blind and I now can see. Explain that to me. We have an incredible testimony because God is at work. And we need to understand that God is at work to bring all of the circumstances in our life, all the things that we would change about God and about our life, God is bringing all those about for a purpose. We also need to understand that that purpose is only going to be found in Christ. So I have a couple questions for you before we, before we dismiss. I know I'm kind of going long here, but, but I, want, I want to challenge you. First of all, do you worship Jesus I mean, are you still saying in your heart, you know, he was a he was a good man. You know, he's a prophet. I'm sure he did lots of good stuff. It's things that I can't explain. Or do you say that he's Lord? Because it's my prayer that you will be brought to the faith. And I have faith and confidence that you will. You'll be brought to the faith. And some of us, it's incredible. Some of us, it's really quick. And some of us, it takes years. It took me 19 years to surrender to the Lord. I grew up in church, hearing sermons every Sunday. I went to church three times a week. I was 19 when I surrendered to him as Lord. Sometimes it's quick. You know, sometimes we're the first person in our family, though. And so if you worship the Lord, do you find that, that worship strengthening in the midst of family members who don't believe? 
Because that's what God wants to do with us. If you have family members that don't believe, let me tell you something. God wants to work in and through you to reach them. We don't know what happened to this man's parents. We just knew that they were afraid and with good reason. But they weren't looking at who they should be afraid of. That this son of ours was blind and now he can see. And you know what? Perfect love cast out all fear. That God would do that for him to help him. It's a beautiful thing. The last thing I want to say is, is that if, this, if God was seeking this man, God's seeking you. And we really ought to take that to heart. That if God is seeking a man like this that can contribute nothing, that we also can contribute nothing. But think about how much further ahead that we are than this guy. That we can read, that we can see, that, that, that we, um, you know, we can study scripture for ourselves. Such a beautiful opportunity. If God was seeking him, he's seeking us, he's seeking you to do his work. My question is, are you ready to testify about him? Are you still feeling like you just don't know enough? Because you feel like you just don't know enough. Maybe God needs to open your eyes and help you to see. It's not about what you know. It's about what you've witnessed God do in your life. Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Rungi in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.